I hope that my experience, even though I can't say, yes, I've done this major thing and this thing that everyone's seen or read, but I hope that my experience can be helpful to anyone who might be struggling, might be discouraged, might be thinking of giving up because I've been there. And you just have to be patient with yourself, patient with the process, and and just keep working at it. The voice you just heard belongs to Blake Castleman, Fan X Programming Director and Screenwriter. I feel like an old-timey radio announcer. Welcome, Blake Castleman. Next stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, will you, will you please introduce... Blake Christensen's podcast. <laughs> will you please introduce yourself like that real Hi, quick? Hi, I'm Blake Castleman. Program director for FanX and wannabe screenwriter. <laughs> I loved it. Who sat down with me to talk about FanX panel programming, stage programming, and behind the scenes, particularly from the 2021 convention. I'm your host, Liz Christensen, and it's all in the telling. Welcome back from a really long summer break to episode 70 with Blake Castleman. A quick side note before we jump in, I've really missed you all, and it is so great to be back with guests in studio. I've got some wonderful things planned for you this fall, so let's dive in with Blake Castleman. What is FanX? FanX is a pop culture convention. Um, we started out as Salt Lake Comic Con, but uh, due to circumstances outside of our control, we are now called FanX. And... What FanX says is a representation of basically everything that people love in the realms of uh, film and television, comic books, novels, cosplay, Lego, just a lot of things that we we try and bring together a, a nice representation of what people love in this world of fandoms people's interests and hobbies, and people's what they love. When you say you're the programming director, what does that entail? It mainly entails the content of each show. Primarily, I'm in, I'm in charge of any panels, presentations, workshops, film screenings, anything that's going on outside of the ex exhibitor floor where the vendors the Artist Alley, Celebrity Row, that area is overseen by other people. Outside of that, I'm basically in charge of, of things that other people can go to as, as options. So, yeah. I mean, is it too simplistic to say if it happens outside of that giant L-shaped room, it's yours to deal with? Uh, most of it, yeah. We have a large tabletop RPG gaming area. I'm responsible for that. This year we did something called FanX TV where things were broadcasted and streamed during the convention. It involved interviews and some other content. Um, I was involved with that, uh, especially arranging for the those who would be interviewed and those who were doing the interviewing to be available at certain times. There was also... Uh, KidCon area. I was not responsible for the area overall. We have a manager, a very capable person uh, who oversaw that. However, my department was 
involved with providing content for a stage in KidCon that had different performances, presentations, and so forth. And inside the exhibitor hall, something you're very familiar with, um, I was responsible for the content on a small stage we had set up that you very graciously and very capably helped run. But that was also my area of responsibility was the the booking and the scheduling for all the different acts, performers, presenters that were part of that stage um, as well. So, Is it accurate or too simplistic to say that if it happens outside of that L-shaped giant room, it's a panel? No, because we have – you know, we have a lot of panels, but we have other things going on as well that wouldn't be classified as a panel. What else is happening outside there? Uh, we had some people bring their films to show, had filmmaker Q&As. We had people come and do performances like we had a magician come. We had we had a group come and, and show how to lightsaber duel. We had people uh, come and do staged fights. We had people come and do workshops where they showed how to use foam to help mold original cosplay costumes. Whereas a panel is more a presentation type or a discussion where people who are expert or very knowledgeable on a certain topic will go into a room, a discussion or material will be presented, and then they'll open. For part of the time, they'll open it for Q&A with the audience. Do you find that there are like some trends of things that people are really interested in coming out of this last FanX that, that were like really hot? Yes. I noticed our anime panels did very well. We've had some anime panels in the past, but we tried to add a few more, which we did, and I think we're going to add even more based on the response. In the past, we've had a lot of cosplay panels where we have people that have cosplays for years. We'll talk to people who are just new or thinking of getting into it, and, and they'll give advice on things like, how do I get started? How do, how do I budget my cosplay? Those have served a good purpose, but it seems like now that we're entering eight years into doing these these conventions, a lot of people want more advanced cosplay demonstrations or workshops where they'll learn how to, you know, things involving, I mentioned before, using foam. Uh, how do you build armor for cosplay? How do you use LED lights for cosplay? and things like that. How do you do 3D printing? How do you involve that with your cosplay? It seems like there's more of a demand for, for these advanced kind of cosplay demonstrations or workshops. And so that's kind of more the direction we're heading. So we're really looking for people that are cosplay craftsmen, people that can show you how to put a costume together or to sew, you know, stuff like that. It seems like there's more of a demand for that. How do you find people for the, the programming? It's a combination of recommendations by people we've worked with and then people just reaching out. You know, I, I'll have people contact me directly. They've gotten my email info from a friend or a colleague who's 
been part of our show before. Um, there's also people that go to our website and they make inquiries through the customer service portal. And then anything involving programming potentially is forwarded to me by our customer service manager. And then I circle back by sending an email to that person if it sounds like something that might be interesting or might be a good addition to the to the programming schedule. If somebody's listening and they want to be a part of a future FanX and they want to pitch an idea to you and they're going to go through the website to do that, what kind of stuff are you looking for that will make that process efficient and uh, attractive? Let me know what you have in mind specifically. Let me know what your credentials are. Let me know what what some of your past experience is. That really helps me determine whether or not, oh, this is definitely what we might be looking for or, you know, this is something we've done plenty of times. You know, we're, we're, we're looking for new ideas all the time. We're looking for things that kind of fit in kind of the pop culture realm we present. And if you have a really engaging idea, I, I want to hear it doesn't mean that it'll fit with what we try and put together, but uh, I, I'd at least like to ha have the opportunity to consider it and the people I work with to consider it. A lot of the decisions we make is based on collaboration between me and people I work with, you know, same way that, that you and Scott with the stage uh, acts, you, you two kind of collaborate and making the decision, well, this will be a good fit. Um, we've done something like this before. Oh, this is really interesting. This seems too big for this to, to be done on the stage, you know, stuff like that. We make the same kind of considerations. There's people that um, want to bring things that are a very good fit and and it works out that way. There's There's also really cool ideas we get that are quite, how do I say this? They're they're big productions and kind of their nature, and it's hard to figure out things logistically. And even though, you know, if if the venue we're at had some things that would make it easier logistically, we would jump at the chance. But sometimes we just have to pass. But. I want to at least have the information I need to consider it. And so as if you were to go to our website and make a pitch through our customer service portal, it would be sent to me, but give us enough information so that we can know, Hey, this sounds really interesting. Then we can directly connect, uh, contact you through email and then we can find out more details. If somebody's listening and they are interested in certain stuff, but they don't want to present, do you have a way to elicit like attendee feedback, people who don't want to participate? But Yeah, yeah. There's There's been a few panels um, we've done, very, very engaging ideas that just people that are attendees and have no qualifications or even no, any desire to be on a panel have sent that, that we've been able to say, hey, this is a great idea. Let's... Let's include it with in the list of panel ideas that we're considering. One thing that 
many people may not know is that on average per show, we get 500, at least 500 or more panel submission ideas. And we have room for maybe 220, 225 around there. So yeah, less than half. <laughs> yeah, less than half. So if your idea gets passed on, people people have submitted ideas, the same idea over, you know, numerous times. And and that's fine. Um, there's ideas we've passed on on previous years that it came to a point to where like, you know what, this panel this panel would be I'll probably be a good fit this time. Let's let's include it. So if anyone were to submit a panel idea and we passed on it, it doesn't reflect the the effort behind the idea. It doesn't it doesn't reflect the creativity or even the inspiration between, behind the idea. It's just that we only have room for so many panels and we have a, a lot of panel ideas that we consider from show to show. What are some of the things that surprised you from this last convention, um, positively or negatively? I I saw a little bit of a shift in what people are interested in. Like I said, the anime panels did very well. We also had an anime screening room for the first time, which also got a lot of positive attention. We noticed that... Like I said, the cosplay panels where they were showing, you know, how to do different things from a crafty point of view did very well. I noticed with the cosplay in the sense of the people that were walking around the convention in costume, I noticed a lot of young people wearing cosplay representing anime characters. So I think as far as where we need to engage the young people that are coming to the convention, we need to look at building our anime track and providing more content for them. As far as fandom goes, that seems to be one of the big ones that that is, um, at least in our show, has seen a lot of growth. And, you know, we do have a an anime bonsai is a convention here in Utah and it's always done really well. I think at first it was just like people that were really into anime maybe didn't come to our show in numbers. They kind of stuck to anime bonsai. But I've seen more there's more of a crossover of young anime fans coming. We had a panel featuring three voice actors from the world of anime voice acting. And they were all part of a of a popular series called My Hero Academia. So that's we featured their panel as a spotlight for that series. We had them in a in our largest panel room that's not the grand ballroom stage where it's all the big celebrities go to do their panels. This room seats about nine hundred people and it was completely full. Wow. I think everyone who wanted to attend the panel got in. But we had a lot of panels in this room, and that was one of the very few that filled it. How can you tell when a fandom is kind of dying out? The only way that we can tell, and this is, again, in the realm of our attendees, does it reflect the world at large? Maybe. 
But if we have, let's say, a half dozen panels on a certain fandom and they're all poorly attended, at least from our perspective, that fandom is something that is not going to get as much attention in the future. Our goal each show is to not only give a wide variety of topics for people to go to panels and enjoy, but to provide the type of panel topics that will at least have a room at near capacity, if not at capacity. And that doesn't always happen. Sometimes I put something in a smaller room and thinking, well, it may not get that much of attention, but it's it's an important topic to have, or we'd like to have a few panels representing this, this fandom. Uh, and then the day of the show, not only does this smaller room fill up, people are turned away because we can't have people not in chairs, sitting in the aisles or yeah, standing. Like fire and so on. Stuff. Fire code stuff, yeah. Meanwhile, during the same hour, there's a panel that I thought would draw more attention in a bigger room, and it doesn't. The room's maybe half full. And then at that moment, I realized, oh, I should have I should have put this the panel in the smaller room and the bigger room and vice versa. But, you know, it's, it's all a learning process. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of guesswork and trend watching and just sort of making assumptions. Yeah, I mean... One of the most popular panels we do at FanX is Twisted Tunes. For those people who may not be familiar with it, we get voice actors from who are famous for doing Disney characters and you know Animaniacs and other popular cartoons. And at the same time, these voice actors do a lot of specific celebrity impersonations. So with Twisted Tunes. Um, the moderator picks a, a script from a movie. At this past FanX, um, the script was from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original. And they'll read from parts of the movie, and the voice actors will do the roles of Charlie or Willy Wonka or Grandpa Joe or Violet Beauregard, and they'll do their lines doing cartoon character voices or celebrities like Christopher Walken or Pee Wee Herman. It's hilarious. Well, the first year we did Twisted Tunes, we really underestimated the interest people would have. So we put it in, again, that large panel room that seats 900. It filled up the room. But what we heard back from the from the people that were running the room, the volunteers who were running the room, is that a lot of people got turned away. And there was a lot of disappointed people because they wanted to, to get in and see this new panel we were doing. That was a Friday. Luckily, on Saturday, there was a spot open in our grand ballroom, which seats 5,000 people. And so we were able to basically schedule a part two for Twisted Tunes in the Grand Ballroom. It didn't fill up the room, but it was probably at three quarters capacity. Wow. And for a last minute ad. For a last minute ad, that's remarkable. And so every t every FanX since then, we've put Twisted Tunes in the Grand Ballroom and it's been at capacity or near capacity. 
What are some of your other like favorites that you just love seeing? We have uh, we have some we have some panels that we bring back every year, and and every year they do really well. Again, going back to anime, one of the one of our staple panels have been they're actually family. They're they're a family. They're all related to each other, either as blood relatives or or through marriage. That for years they've done a panel for us called the latest and greatest in anime. It's they do a podcast talking about anime. That panel does well every year. We have game shows. Uh, we have a, a, a young man by the name of Aaron Yeager, who is kind of our master of ceremonies when it comes to our game shows. And he puts together these fun game shows where he mashes fandoms with popular standbys like Family Feud or... Will of Fortune or Seen It or Jeopardy. This past FanX, he did uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Seen It, where he, he brings up contestants out of the audience. For this time, he showed clips from the movie Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Probably many of your listeners are familiar with the game Seen It, but people have to watch close enough to, to answer specific questions. He also did Pokemon Jeopardy, which was very successful too. Another type of game show he's doing is Murder Mysteries. And he did one tied into the TV series Loki that just we just saw on Disney Plus. And he had people dressed cosplay as people from the Marvel Universe or the MCU. And he wrote a whole murder mystery story around there being a murder at the uh, the time travel play I, I can't remember what off the top of my head but the but the Loki series was centralized around this this time travel bureau of <laughs> I can't think about it I'm, <laughs> I'm as soon as this podcast taping is done I'll remember what that place was called but basically so anyway he he wrote this murder mystery that centered around these characters the panelists were dressed up as. They all had a role to play. And so it was but it was the audience's job to figure out who the murderer was. And so there'd be little clues given out, but there'd be twists and turns at the same time. So That's awesome. Yeah. And so there's room for everything. There's there's room to talk about disabilities in pop culture. There's room to talk about diversity in pop culture. There's room to talk about cosplay. There's room to talk about our favorite fandoms like Marvel and DC and Star Wars and Star Trek. And we do have those panels, but we've tried to bring in some other content that's just fun. Uh, we have the Anime Academy Awards we do every year. We have one of our panelists submitted an idea that I just thought was great. And from the feedback I got, it was very successful and a lot of people had fun. But it was Fanex Thunderdome, the ultimate rock, paper, scissors competition where people gathered in a room and did rock, paper, scissors until there was one person that was <laughs> the champion rock, paper, scissors. That's awesome. So we... We still want to do panels that celebrate people's fandoms. We still want to do workshops, presentations where people can learn how to be better cosplayers. 
we still want to do panels where people can can talk about important things that are relevant to the world, things like inclusion and and um, you know maybe segments of our society that have been marginalized. How we can use our love of pop culture to give those people more of a voice. That's that's very important. But we're trying to bring in fun stuff too where people can go and just have a good time and and laugh and and be engaged that way. So Fanex isn't the only uh storytelling art entertainment thing that you're involved with. Let's talk about some of your other things. Okay. Uh I've I've loved to write since I was a kid. I have early memories of of uh writing and drawing my own comic books and my own short stories and sharing them with my family and friends. I remember I was probably about eight or nine years old when I realized that people actually got paid to write stories and to create (laughs) comic books. And I thought that was really cool because before then I just assumed, like what I was doing, the people who professionally wrote, professionally drew and created these things that I loved as a kid just did it for fun. Just did it for other people's enjoyment. Went <laughs> to work nine to five and then did this. Yeah, and then did this. I and mean, there's plenty of people that do that. Obviously, um, I'm one of those people. You know, last night I was struggling with a rewrite of a script, um, one that you've read. I'm trying to make the third act better because the feedback I've gotten from people is first two acts great, third act yeah. But, you know, this was after I had spent a good portion of the day responding to emails for FanX. And then, you know, here I am at midnight <laughs> trying to trying to do a revision on this third act of this script and finally just saying, <laughs> I'm going to bed. <laughs> that's good for today. Yeah, that's, that's good for today. I fixed one page. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite quotes is any any progress is good progress, right? This is good progress. There's been some days that have been so busy where I've written a half a page or, or, or revised a page and then like that's all I have time for. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> but I I I've had a few scripts I've written produced, mainly short films, although I I do have a feature that was produced that I co-wrote with the director called Adopting Trouble. I co-wrote a, a graphic novel called Devil's Triangle with the artist named Brian Hells. That's a, that's available for purchase on Amazon. I published some short stories, mainly in anthologies, mainly by smaller publishing houses where my my payment was two or three contributor copies <laughs> of, yeah. of the anthology. Got paid so, and not having to buy your book. Yes. Yeah. So it's can I call myself a professional writer? Sure. I've I've been I've been paid for on occasion for my screenwriting efforts. I've been paid I've I've received royalty checks for my graphic novel. I've been paid to do some other writing. Should I quit my day job? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but I still enjoy the process of writing. I still enjoy the process of revisions. Rejection is still no fun, but I don't let it get in the way of my aspirations, my my goals. So I used to 
get quite distraught when rejections came to the point to where I, I might go weeks without writing. And I got to a point to where I realized that that was very counterproductive. You know, if I was going to keep doing this, if I was going to keep having these goals of, of being a published and or produced writer, I needed to not go down that 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 rabbit hole when a rejection came. So I decided this was probably about probably about 20 years ago. I decided that I was going to give myself one day to feel bad about about the, about the re, re, yep when I got the rejection I had one day to feel bad about it and then I couldn't feel bad about it anymore I had to get back to work it's really made my time more productive in the face of rejections which yeah I mean and rejections just part of the business it's yeah. unavoidable and it's something you can't take personally either it's a business decision even if it's a small you know mom and pop publishing house that are looking for stories to put into an anthology and the only thing they can pay is a couple contributor copies. If they reject you, it's not personal. It has nothing to do with your talent or your aspirations as a creator or, or an artist. Um, yeah, maybe you, maybe you haven't been doing it as long, and you need to learn some more things about the craft. You need some more experience to help with your execution of the story, or whatever it is you're you're creating. But you can't take it personally because they're making a business decision, and the decision usually is this doesn't fit what we're looking for. I do the same thing with panels. Somebody pitches a panel. This isn't what we're looking for. This doesn't fit with what we're trying to do. And I'm sure some people have taken it personally when I've said no, thank you. But we were strictly looking at the what was being presented as what the panel is about, what its content is, or if it's a stage presentation or something else. I mean, I've had people want to do things that have been fantastic ideas, but they want to do it in a panel room and they want us to move things off the the riser where we normally keep the tables and chairs and microphones where the panelists sit, or they want us to move chairs around in the room. And it's just like, no, we can't do that because it, logistically we don't, we don't have the means to change the room to accommodate what you want to do and then change it back in time for the next panel because the way the panels are scheduled, it's one after another all day. Yeah. And I'm sure you've had run into the same thing with your with your stage considerations. I mean, we, we, we have had a discussion about people that wanted to bring in these presentations with these props and other things that would be fantastic except – Right there on the stage, we just didn't have the yeah. There's no there's no backstage space. There's no yeah. There's no stage crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's not the electricity, mm -hmm. the lighting, whatever. the The size of the stage doesn't accommodate certain things that people want to do. 
we had a group of, of professional musicians that wanted to come and play kind of old-timey rag music and with the hopes of getting one of our celebrity guests involved who loves to sing. Even though she was an actress, she's she's she loves to sing as well. She loves to sing the type of music that they were going to play, but they wanted a certain amount of money, which I didn't have to pay them. So we had to politely pass. So these these things happen. So when you're creating and I think it's phenomenal when anyone can take an idea and make something out of it to the point to where it's a story, it's a novel, it's a film, it's a play, it's a piece of music, it's a painting. It's just remarkable to me that process of, of taking a single idea, a thought, uh, uh, something you've watched, something you've read something you dream. I have a short script right now I'm hoping to to produce next year that comes from a dream I had. And to create something complete out of that idea. It's so remarkable. So that's why I tell people don't ever let a rejection minimalize what you've created. Because what you've created, if you've completed it, that's remarkable. Now, if you need to do some more work on it, if you need to do some revisions or some fixes, that's part of the process. But that's still a process you can enjoy, I feel. I like I like that. I think that's very encouraging. And I want to take you back to goals and aspirations you said um, a little ways back. What are you hoping to have happen for your creative life going forward? Like, where do you want to go? I've been able to kind of dip my big toe into the three realms of creating that I've been very much interested in since I was a kid. One is novel and short story writing. One is film. And one is comic books. Maybe I've, I've limited myself by pursuing all three. Maybe I could have become better in one of those areas had I just focused on that and not worried about the other two. But I love all three so much. I have ideas for stories specific to all three. Like an idea will come to me, and if it resonates with me, I'll say, okay, is this a screenplay? Is this a comic book story? Or is this a novel or a short story? And then I'll make that decision based on something. Maybe it's my right brain going to work, or maybe it's my left brain and my right brain working together because, you know, the right brain is supposed to be the creative side, right? And the left brain is the analytical side. Is that? I always get them reversed. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's my two brains working together where one side is saying, hey, here's this great idea. And and the other side of the brain is saying, yes, that would make a really good screenplay or that would make a really good comic book idea. And so I have my Google Docs for each idea and I have, you know, notes and other things I've written in these ideas that are in the realms of, okay, this, this is going to be a screenplay. This is going to be a comic book. I have an opportunity to be part of a startup company. We're planning on unveiling the company in February 
and this will be digital comic book publishing, mostly uh, content geared towards kids and young adults. Oh, cool. I have a film idea that's a screenplay right now, and I'm learning how to take that screenplay and develop it into a film. Um, I'm also putting together a five screenplay deck of low budget horror films. Oh, fun. That are mostly one location or two at the most. And that's who, that's what I'm working with my production partners. Um, we made the film Adopting Trouble together. And then um, as far as novels, I have, I have a long list of novel ideas I want to write. However, what I'm working on right now is I have a screenplay that um, is just kind of at that point. I, I wrote it for a director. The director is kind of at that point where he's looking for funding for it. While we're waiting for that to come to pass, I've decided to take the script and adapt it into a, a short novel. And hopefully, you know, <clears throat> if I was able to get find a even a small publishing house to, to publish it, um, maybe that might help the screenplay's chance of being turned into a film. So that's kind of where, where my aspirations are right now. You know, it's it's all part time. It's all on my own time. It's all at midnight, <laughs> trying to trying to put whatever together so it can be ready to show whoever it needs to be shown to next. As far as um, either a decision maker or someone who may know a decision maker that that might be of of uh, assistance to what I'm trying to or hoping to do with these projects. Thank you to my guest, Blake Castleman. Blake, thank you so much for letting me talk to you today about FanX and your screenwriting and everything. It's been very enjoyable. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed talking about it. Keep In the Telling commercial-free and get exclusive access to full interviews on Patreon. You can help more people find In the Telling by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Theme music by Gordon Vitas. In the Telling is hosted and produced by me, Liz Christensen. Thank you for listening.